Hello, this is Tracy Vandy Venture with Little Things First, Jim. This, this is Jim Martin with Little Things First. So excited for today. Oh my gosh, Jim, how did you do it? We we had our other like review of Demoralized, and how how'd you get a hold of the author? Well, um, sorry. you remember when we used to all have phone books? Do you still have a phone book? <laughs> I do not. Okay. My dad still has a phone book, so, you know, like, if he has to look up something, he, like, pulls out the phone book, and he, like, <laughs> looks through <laughs> it to find what he's looking for, and I just think that's so funny. I actually just typed her name, yeah, and her, you know, picture image came up, and, like, where she works, and all that kind of stuff, just, you know, Google stalking. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and then um, I just con sent an email to her, and she was more than happy to talk to us. So anyway, I'm really excited that we get to follow up our discussion with some questions for the author. Absolutely. Absolutely, because I have a lot of... I have a lot of interest in this work on retaining teachers and the idea that we need to support teachers in their moral center, if you will. So uh, let's give her a call. Let's see if she's able to talk with us. Perfect. Hello, this is Doris. Hi, Doris. This is Tracy Vandeventer with Little Things First. Hi, Tracy. I'm so sorry for missing your caller. <laughs> so, I don't know if you heard the end of where I couldn't even figure out how to turn my uh, phone off, and my husband was in the background being like, okay, what do I need to do to help you be able to like make your meetings? <laughs> We're no good. Worries. I'm uh, with Jim. Yeah, I'm here too, um, Doris. Nice to meet you. Hi, Jim. Thank you for your understanding. I really am sorry about that. And then when you said you were moving, I'm moving too. And I was just like, oh, don't, I totally get it. Yeah, moving is hard. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I just, I got into like a moment of some, we moved into this really old farmhouse where I'm sort of currently cleaning out 60 years of gross. And oh. so... Um, and so I just get on these jags where I maniacally clean something for like in the concentrated way. And I was far enough away from the phone that I did because I had set myself like two or three alarms to make sure I was, <laughs> but I was just far enough away from the phone that I didn't um, grab it. So I'm oh, sorry. Wow. I'm glad we're, I'm glad we're connected now. We're so and glad. I, and I am, um, so I am in rural Maine. I think, that we should be fine where I am. Um, but it sounds like, do you edit your um, podcasts at all or do you go straight, straight through? Very little editing. Every once okay. in a while we'll edit a little piece out, but it's pretty much just, we're going to have a conversation. I love that. Um, I, I have a podcast that is sort of, it's been a few years since I did it, but I usually just tell people like, it's just going to go and yeah. we're going to do that. So I, I don't think we'll drop the call and I am in my car outside a lake. Um, so you may hear a tiny bit of background noise, but it shouldn't be too bad because I've tried to hide from people. So. Okay, <laughs> good. Good social distancing. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Well, tell us a little bit about yourself first. Sure. Um, so um, I am a philosopher of education at Bowdoin College. And uh, Bowdoin College is a small liberal arts college in uh, Brunswick, Maine. And um, prior to that, um, I, well, I guess I should say, um, 
in my role um, at uh, Bowdoin, uh, we are a very small department, and so um, I am a philosopher of education, but I also um, teach all the way across the curriculum. So I teach our teacher education um, courses. I go and supervise student teachers. Um, I teach our intro course. So all all levels, um, all of us are involved in that. Um, I became a an secondary school English teacher um, in undergrad. Um, so I have my degree in English and I was also able to earn my certification at the same time. Um, I did that at the University of Rochester and in Rochester, New York. And then I moved to um, New York City. Um, I, I moved there specifically uh, because I wanted to teach and because I had a lot of friends in theater who I was moving down with. Um, I then moved to San Francisco and taught um, in the Outer Mission in San Francisco. So I taught in Brooklyn in um, New York. I taught in um, the Outer Mission in San Francisco. And then I moved back to New York to do my uh, program, uh, my doctoral program in philosophy and education at Teachers College at Columbia University. And while I was while I was there, um, I um, I in addition to waitressing early on, um, I also um, worked uh, for quite a while, which is one of my favorite jobs besides the one I'm in now, um, at an alternative to incarceration program in Manhattan. Um, so for young people from about 14 years old until about 21 or 22 years old um, who were convicted of crimes but were diverted from um, from uh, from incarceration um, through this program. So I uh, worked with them. And then I was also um, a literacy consultant um, in the Bronx, in Jersey City, and in um, Newark, New Jersey. And from there, I moved to Maine. Nice. And so I most recently have... Um, bought a farm with my family and we're going to see what farming is all about too. Nice. So that's what we're, try we're trying our hand at now so we'll see what happens and it's going to be a clean farm sounds like because you've been it's, working it's going to be it's going to be a very <laughs> clean farm at least the inside of the farmhouse will be clean yes that's awesome so well, we we actually have had a discussion about your book prior um and uh we we talked about it with our listeners um just well it's we like a little book group we didn't talk with our any listeners we basically just talked between ourselves and we're all being somebody's <laughs> listening out there um but we uh we loved the book and we have a lot of questions about it um as a follow-up uh, i'm wondering what drew you to writing demoralized in the first place Sure. Um, well, first of all, thank you so much for reading my book and and for the positive feedback. And, you know, I, I'm also interested in constructive feedback because I'm still, and I'll talk a little bit about this later on, but I'm still working in this area. And so I, I want to uh, improve what I'm doing. And, and the way I can do that is by getting feedback from, from teachers and those who read it. Um, so the reason I wrote this book was because I uh, got a resignation letter um, from actually my friend with whom I taught very closely in uh, San Francisco. And she said, Doris, you should see, this is also what I shared with the folks at the, the school, and I wanted you to know this. 
And it just immediately struck me um, that uh, the reasons she was giving for leaving teaching didn't fit with most of the common explanations for why people leave the profession. Um, she was a great teacher, right? So we often hear, like, especially in urban areas, people leave because they can't hack it. Um, she was great. Um, they leave because they don't like it. It was not work they ever intended. Well, she was passionate about this work. You know, she would look at students and say, I can't wait to tell your kids, you know, what you were doing when, you know, they come and are my students. Like she intended to be there for the long haul. Um, she knew what she was getting into in terms of money, even though we all agree that teachers should be paid more. Um, you know, so none of the common explanations fit. Um, so that's one reason why. The other reason was, you know, my um, my dissertation advisor, um, David Hansen, wrote um, is is most famous for the call to teach. Mm. And one of the things I asked him was, you know, you're saying that people teach for moral reasons. That's that's part of what they go into the profession for. And I said, couldn't they also leave for moral reasons? And like a good advisor, he said, gee, that's something maybe you should look at at some point. <laughs> um, and so that was not what my dissertation research was. But I was very soon out of my doctoral program when I received um, Lisa's letter um, about her resigning and I had been doing all of this research and I just thought, you know, there's something here. And I specifically, specifically um, heard in her letter, this idea of, I can't teach the way I want to anymore. I can't do this right. I, I'm not doing right by kids. And um, I did not hear that from her as a selfish um, sort of, my personal predilection kind of thing, right? This wasn't like, I want to um, be able to use gold stars and they're making me use silver stars, right? Or I want to um, teach, uh, you know, I want to teach the bluest eye, but they're telling me I have to teach catcher in the rye. I mean, that actually might have a deeper reason behind it. And that would be interesting to talk about, but there was her her saying that she couldn't teach the want, way she wanted to anymore was about her professional judgment, not her personal predilections. And so I wanted to explore if there were other people who felt the same way. One other caveat to this is that, um, you know, this was also, you know, when I started this research, it was about 2006, 2007. So we're right in the middle of, you know, uh, no child left behind, right? Of the people really feeling the impacts of this. Right. And, and I at first thought this is all going to be about no child left behind. But what I found as I did the research is that it was bigger than this one, um, this, this one policy. Although there are many things about that policy that remain with us today um, that impact impacted people feeling demoralized. But um, it, it by no means is the only um, factor that is um, that is um, causing demoralization. 
I, I, um, it's, it was my idea to pick up your book and talk with Jim about it. And part of it was as an educational leader in a building level, I've been worried about the tide that I see that is turning in regards to having enough teachers in the building. Mm, and uh-huh. I haven't had, I don't, that I'm aware of, I haven't had people who have been as passionate about like their core values being challenged. Instead, I've seen more that we just don't have enough coming in uh, as new Uh teachers. And then I have so many that have been sort of like growing up and then they're going into bigger positions as instructional coaches or going to get their PhD or something else. Um, Uh I would, we, when we talked before, I sort of said, I wonder if this is sort of a, uh, an impact or I was worried this was an impact that's kind of coming from the coast and working its way into the middle I don't know where your you know all of mm-hmm. your you know people are from but I'm curious if you see a pattern that way or is it kind of nope it's just everywhere you have you know you're seeing it everywhere yeah um there were definitely I mean so it's not just a coastal phenomenon I would say that um you know there's quite a bit um happening um in Wisconsin where I was, mm-hmm. um, talked to a, a number of people and that had a lot to do, um, with, uh, Wisconsin's act 10 that eviscerated teacher protections and the teachers union. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it, it is a good question, right? I moved to, I moved to Maine and Maine did not experience no child left behind and some of the other impacts in the same degree that I've seen in some other places, you know, so that might be, uh, something that is relatable there, but mm-hmm. I do think that, um, and you know, what I find myself, um, doing now, and first of all, thank you for making the suggestion to read the book, um, is, and I am on, um, you know, a number of task task forces looking at um, the teacher shortage. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, it depends, I think, on where you are, right? Some places are incredibly uh, impacted by low teacher pay. Yeah. Um, Right. That is the main driver, right? I just can't survive on this. Why would I, why would I spend this amount of time and money getting my education when, um, when I'm, I'm barely going to make it with my family. Um, so I'm part of a research team, um, uh, at Virginia Commonwealth university right now. And I, that's one of the big things that's coming up is just pay overwhelmingly, um, as an issue, um, in, in Maine and the task force that I'm on, you know, a lot of this is about, um, you know, attracting folks to rural and isolated um, places. Um, I also think that um, I've, I've seen that also going on um, in Arizona. But I, one of the things I think is part of the issue with um, bringing folks into the profession is that I think uh, that there. Pay, again, pay is an issue, but I think this realizing like I um, love kids, I love being creative, I, I love, you know, being uh, intellectually stimulated, and I'm not sure that um, many um, prospective teachers see the work of teaching in that way these mm-hmm. days. Mm-hmm. I think that they see it as quite 
you know, is what Michael Applewood called de-skilled, right? And that, um, that this isn't a place for me to bring my intellectual passion and creativity. It's a place for me to follow directions. And um, I think that there is a very uh, significant role for teacher education. And so I include myself in this, in this role um, to highlight the ways that even when there can be some uh, strong, uh, where there can be some very uh, strong boundaries around what you can and cannot do, that there is always some freedom Mm-hmm. to be found in that and some ways in which you can find where your passion is and expand on that through this work. Because I personally think that this is the most exciting work a person can do. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, figuring out what makes students uh, tick, what helps, you know, what gets them excited about learning, what will turn on that light and, and you know, keep the flame going for for um, young people, I can't think of a more dynamic and exciting yeah. um, job, but I don't know how good of a, a job we are doing when we highlight, you know, um, things like, are you, do you know how to analyze data um, in, in uh, you know, teacher education programs? Those are important skills, but I don't think that that's what's going to draw um, people who are passionate about the work in. So how do you um, how do you negotiate that? Because um, I've been you know a principal for ten years, and um, I probably have been responsible for the demoralization of some <laughs> folks along the way. Because um, well, I don't want to justify that at all. I, I mean, I have to admit that. I did feel a little bit defensive at times reading the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe that's intentional on, on your part to really, you know, get people to stop and go, wait a minute, what, you know, what role do I play in all of this? My question is, um, I don't know how to negotiate. I think sometimes uh, the people that I've worked with have felt demoralized by our shift in education from teaching to learning. You know, and I think there has been mm-hmm, quite a big mm-hmm. shift in the last mm, decade, um, maybe more of, you know, we're not going to focus necessarily on what we taught, we're going to focus on to what degree did kids mm-hmm. learn it or master it. And I think some teachers have felt like, um, well, I mean, that's just a different way of looking at education. And it really changes a, a lot of ways that we do things or have done things. And so I just wonder what your thoughts are about Mm -hmm. that and how to negotiate that, because I think that can be very demoralizing to some teachers who are struggling. They might be in a really highly impacted area and they're struggling to get their kids to mastery on, Mm -hmm. on key, key skills or key standards, whatever. Sorry. I've been talking for quite a bit of time. I want to give you a chance to respond. (laughs) No, I and I really appreciate you talking about your uh, reaction to the book. Um, I was actually going to ask both of you as educational leaders how you felt reading the book because it is very teacher centered, sure. um, and it is not, and, and it's intentionally teacher centered. Um, I've I've talked to groups of school leaders. Um, at other times who said, well, what about us? You need to write a book on school, you know, demoralization and school leaders. And I said, I, 
I am not the person to write that book <laughs> because I think I think the reason that I'm able to write the book about teacher demoralization is because I know teaching intimately. Um, and I think that someone who understands school leadership intimately needs to write the book on school leader demoralization. I, I, I have no doubt that it is pervasive. Um, uh, I think the job of the principal is far too large and who would want that job? So thank you. Um, Obviously we did. <laughs> right. You did. Um, and, and, and those who can do it well. And the thing is, is, and you know, I'm doing this other piece of another piece of research right now where all I'm seeing over and over again is how significant uh, the building leader yeah. is yep. uh, for uh, particularly teacher satisfaction. Yeah, sure. Um, and that, you know, some of the folks who I interviewed, you know, part of their demoralization was just to have the bad luck to have a terrible leader, right? Like there are terrible mm -hmm. teachers and there are terrible leaders mm -hmm. and there are great teachers and there are great leaders. Yeah. And then there are a lot in the, and then there are a lot in, all in the middle, right? And all, no, none of us are perfect. Um, and so I do, you know, I am, um, someone who very much, um, respects that they're, first of all, I think the way you've, uh, framed that Jim of the focus from teaching the teacher centered to learning and to have it be learner centered really takes it away from, takes it away from what do I as a teacher feel like doing? to what do the students need yeah. to learn and what do I need to do in order to help them um, gain, you know, gain these skills, achieve this mastery. And, and I think, um, you know, the people who are most motivated by absolute autonomy because they can do whatever they feel like, you know, I want to read Ezra Pound all day long, right? <laughs> they're going to, this, this is not an environment and where they're going to succeed. Yeah. This is no longer an environment, um, where they su can succeed. And I actually think, you know, there's, um, oh, I'm forgetting her name, but Stacy Yee, I believe writes around, like there's some forms of attrition that are good. Yeah. And there's some forms of attrition that are problematic. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the people who are no longer can't, who can't center students and their needs, you know, maybe that's an okay form of attrition. Um, but what I'm interested in are folks who definitely t put students' interests at the center, uh, students' needs at the center, and, um, and, and, and still feel like they can't find ways to do their work. Yeah. One of the things we know, uh, and do their work well, one of the things we know is that teachers tend to be as a, a rule-following set. Mm. And, and I think that sometimes, um, and not because of a particular school leader, but things can happen where teachers think, okay, I'm just going to toe the line. I'm just going to do what I'm told. And I think that there's actually a lot more space for creativity within the boundaries, you know, and that's what I try to really teach my students um, are what are the boundaries and how can you be very innovative within the, within that. Um, so I don't want you to think that I am at all advocating for teachers should be able to do whatever they want. I do not think that that is true. I do not think that that is true. Right. And I think it's, and I think it's entire, and I think that 
actually, you know, uh, school building culture falls apart when there isn't a strong leader saying, here's what we're all moving towards together, right? That's what we all need to do together. Um, I, I think that um, one thing that school leaders can do, a little thing uh, that school leaders can do is to get really curious about teacher resistance. You know, so sometimes, you know, there's there was um, a woman and you may recall this from the book, there was a woman I spoke to who kept using the language of creative over and over again. I can't be creative anymore. I can't. And I'm thinking, what does she want to do? Like glue glitter on a pumpkin? Like, what is this all about? You know what? Like, I guess I can't, I can't use this interview because it's not going to really help me build the case I'm trying to show of this phenomenon, right? And but then I, I, I stopped and I said, you know, can you help me better understand what you mean by this? And when you're saying you can't be creative, because um, that was sort of turning me off. And, and she said, you know, students bring these interests into the classroom and I um, really want to be able to use their interests to then engage them in the learning that they need to do. And so for me, that is an example of something a school leader could do. And, you know, if a teacher saying, I just don't want to do this curriculum or I just don't want to, you know, this, this is a bad idea to dig in a little bit and say, help me better understand, you know, what your concerns are about this, mm -hmm. because there may be a place where there is common ground to then find the boundaries and to find the space for creativity within the boundaries. Um, in the book, um, there's one, you know, there's actually a story of a school leader who completely is the source of remoralization for a teacher um, who had, um, because she thought this was what she was supposed to do, she was a math curriculum expert, had won all these awards, but then, you know, ended up agreeing to doing, to adopting a textbook that she did not think was very effective um, and um, ended up, you know, she really lost her passion for teaching math. She saw her students really not understanding uh, as what, you know, developing the understanding she wanted them to uh, generate. And, you know, a new leader came in and, and she said, you know, I, I, you know, she finally decided to speak up with this new leader and say, I'm really concerned about this. And the leader said, let's start the bonfire. Like, let's set that on fire, literally. Mm -hmm. And, and because that was a space where there was room for that to happen. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and that's not always the case, but in this case it was. And so uh, that was transformative for that teacher um, in terms of being able to utilize her expertise and to, to learn that she could have this conversation with um, her lead, her school leader about where where were the spaces of flexibility yeah. um, within within what needed to be done. Yeah, and as you bring up that story, I was thinking about my own situation where I had a team of three and I had one very senior person that I had worked with in another capacity and she joined our team and she was very much not wanting to go lockstep with the curriculum. And so we talked in our earlier conversation, I, I said, in that case, I sort of said, here's the things I'm tight on. You have to teach the same standards at the same time. So when we're looking at some data, we can all share how our kids are growing and, and we can sort of have a dialogue about what kinds of support uh, kids might need. 
Um, but then I also gave her permission that, no, you don't have to use this curriculum, but to honor the other teachers in your team when we have those meetings that talk about our planning, you really should be on the same page that way. And it was a nice, at least in this setting, that was a nice compromise that I think we came to where uh, she had the you know, freedom to do what she thought was best. And I knew her history. She's a very strong teacher. But I guess in that case, I felt like, oh, where do I really draw the line? And and that's where mm -hmm. I did uh, draw it because we had some, you know, mandates from j just in that idea of, of collaboration, right? And mm -hmm. she was going to be mm -hmm. this lone wolf if she wouldn't have kind of been on that same page with her team who were young and needed more of the structure of the curriculum at the time. So mm -hmm, mm -hmm, are mm -hmm. programs a source of a lot of demoralization with teachers? Do you find the, the, the curriculum? Of, yeah. The programs that are to the math programs, the reading programs. Definitely. And I think, um, a couple of, I, I've, I've heard from teachers, uh, that there are two different ways I think those can be particular de particularly demoralizing. Um, one is um, the purely scripted curriculum, yeah. right? The ones where you, where it is, you know, so-called teacher proof, right? So why am I here? What am I, you know, like I am just reading a script to these uh, children. Um, that's one version. And another is um, situations where the um, scope and, you know, the sort of pacing yeah. seems um, to be um, something where students are um, falling behind, you know, and so the two main pieces are that they, they can't in but each of those examples is that they, the teacher can't be responsive uh, to stu student needs as they arise. If they are expected to be in lockstep um, with this kind of uh, work. Mm -hmm. um, and it seems, and you know, and it seems to me whether it's reading a script um, or um, that there is um, some pacing that, um, that seems certain that, that students are feeling really frustrated or lost and, you know, and, and I feel like, you know, again, this is not about, okay, so teachers raise the concern first and now we just abandon those things. That's not at all what I'm saying. You know, I think the question is to say, okay, let's hear more about why are you concerned about this curriculum? Okay, so what are some things we can do? Like, if we're wedded to this, wedded to this program, um, what is it um, that we could start to do as a team now? Mm -hmm. You know, to to address to address this. Does it mean we need to have more conversation um, and better collaboration with our um, ESL counterparts, more support from our special ed counterparts? You know what I mean? Like, there may be things that could ha help to attenuate some of those concerns. Um, maybe it's a five minute sort of review boost before moving into the new, you know, each, you know, so what did we do? And, you know, if that's not built into what, um, what the program is offering. So I just, I, I see that there are many ways to find, find that, 
ability to do good work, even within restrictions. Yeah, so rather than just throwing out the program, using it as a, uh, a conversation starter, you know, how can we, mm-hmm. you know, what are your concerns and how can we address your concerns um, within some constraints of the program? Uh-huh. Um, just, I think, acknowledging teachers' concerns exist and hearing them and, and trying to problem solve a solution. I think that's really valuable. You know, and, and I also, oh, I'm sorry, go no, ahead. Your turn, go ahead. You're the expert. Okay. I, I, I was also going to say, you know, and one of the things that creates opportunities uh, for remoralization is when teachers work on things together. Mm-hmm. Um, in purposeful ways. And so what that might mean as a, as a school leader, as an educational leader, is that uh, you provide choice, just like we advocate whenever we can with students, that the more often we can provide choice within the sort of parameters of what we're trying to teach, that that's um, a way, that's a way to engage students. That's also a way to engage teachers. And so could could some teachers opt in to looking at some of the challenges of a particular program and trying to come up with a few um, building-based or department-based uh, recommendations for how to how to make it work uh, more successfully for your for your school? Yeah, and, and what I was going to say earlier was the reason we started this podcast was because I think that we feel some of the same challenges, right? Like how how do we continue to improve schools without having to have sweeping reforms, right? Where everything Mm -hmm. has to change because really that isn't necessarily going to be the magic key to making a school more successful. That really there are a number of small things that can happen that can build community Mm -hmm. and build culture and, you know, raise expectations and, and what have you. I'm just throwing out kind of some of the buzzwords, but that you really can see some change across the board if you do some things, smaller things, over and over and over again well, it can add up and have some impact on how kids are doing, right? But with that background, I was just, I want to highlight your chapter six, actually, I do think could be expanded and become a book, if nothing else, that you just go interview a lot of teachers so that principals can find out what they won't tell us to our face. (laughs) Because the truth is we work on building that relationship. We work on trying to build that structure and support. And I loved in in your chapter six, Vanessa's story. And when I'm thinking Mm. about the little things that make a difference in, in her case, she had a principal who welcomed discourse. Now, how Mm -hmm. hard is it for us to welcome discourse? It is not hard. It is honoring voices coming together you maybe have to have a few things that are non-negotiable for whatever reason you know your district Mm -hmm. mandates or you've got some state law or something that way Um, but I just want to recognize that that chapter actually does give administrators some good images and ideas about the little things that they could do that will have an impact on really powerful strong passionate teachers like Vanessa Thank you for bringing up that story. I think I think her she is you know someone that any administrator would want to keep. Yeah. Right? You know, like you want to hold on to her. Um, she has energy to burn. You know, and she's still on fire. Yeah. Um, she's 
I, I think that, um, you know, I do say when I um, sort of go talk to bigger groups or something, um, and I that's why I love um, the 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 conceit of your podcast because I say like, you know, I could come up with some program and try to sell you something that's going to turn around your district and X number, right. And and try to make a lot of money off that, but that's not what I want to do. I want you to see that these are things you can do right now, Mm -hmm. immediately Mm -hmm. and for, and for free without adding a new line item on your budget. Um, and, and, the, and one of those, I think, is about, you know, getting curious about teacher, um, teacher dissatisfaction, about asking teachers, like, what is it um, that, that really makes this work worthwhile for you? And then trying to help them find um, ways to maximize that, right? Mm-hmm. So, okay, how can you do more of that? And, and what really irritates you about this work, right? What really gets in the, what really gets yeah. in the way? Yeah. And, and, and to help teachers see that they do have choices. Can you spend a little less attention over here? Now, there may not be, it may not be the case, right? Like, I want to acknowledge that there are times when you're like, no, you can't choose just not to do science. Science <laughs> is pretty important, right? But, um, but, but there are times where you're like, why are you focusing so much on that? You don't have to do that. Go. Right. Do more of the do more of that that feeds you, right? Let's let's have let's have you uh, draw on that um, passion and and let it keep feeding you. Um, I think that there are um, ways in which, um, again, as you as you mentioned, that uh, culture can really be be built about uh, what collectively makes this work good for us mm-hmm. what makes this good work for us as a school and what are some of the things we're going to do uh to support each other in in doing that and, and another small thing i wanted to um, point out is that you know m- the thing that really fires me up might not be the thing that fires you up and that's okay but i bet you you might know someone who has the same passion i have maybe you could connect me with that yeah. person yeah. um because then I can feel like I have community and I have someone who gets me when I can't stop talking about whatever it might be, you know, and that where um, someone who wants to, you know, nerd out on this as much as I do, they're there, right? And right. we can and we can do this. And so I think um, whether it's teacher to teacher or a, a building leader connecting people who have similar passions, whether it's in their building or within their or a, or educational leader who can connect people within their districts, or maybe in another district, um, with uh, who who have um, a similar vision of good work. Yeah, just a couple more questions. Uh, one question I have in, and I know this could take us far down the rabbit hole, but <laughs> just recognizing Jim and I had this conversation a little earlier. What kinds of work can we do around principal preparation and training mm. that could help create a space that would reduce this demoralization? Because it's not addressed in our admin prep. You know, principal school doesn't talk about this. And we come with our own mm-hmm. insecurities and our own mm-hmm. lack of experience and, and, you know, our own things that get in our own way. So what what are your thoughts about principal preparation? Um, so I want to start by saying I know almost nothing about principal preparation. <laughs> um, we, you know, I, we have, we only, uh, 
credential secondary school uh, teachers at my, you know, at, at Bowdoin and, um, and I have not worked at a larger university where that's happening. So I want to acknowledge, I want to just acknowledge my general ignorance. <laughs> uh, so you can correct me wherever you want to, but you know, one of the things um that you've already brought up that I think is so important is to have the courage to engage in uh, discourse with um, teachers, right? To, to not treat it as a threat. Um, and it doesn't have to be like, I don't think, right? Ha sitting in front, having someone, um, you know, challenge you uh, in front of a, all faculty, you know, all staff meeting, like that's not the place to do this, right? But to say to that person, I hear you're passionate about this. Let's talk some more about it because I'm interested in what you have to say. Mm -hmm. um, you know, um, it, having the courage to, to, um, to invite those conversations and to, and to sit with disagreement, right? One of the things that I find very compelling about um, and maybe this is something that could be in uh, leadership training. One of the things that I find very compelling about teaching and education and why I find it exciting is that we can both agree, all, all three of us can agree that um, we think that student well-being and learning is of, of paramount importance. Um, how we get there there are many legitimate ways to get there. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so we might have to live with some disagreement and there might be even a, at this school, at this time, this is how we're doing it. Right. For whatever reason. Yeah. Um, but I, but I hear what you're saying about why you think this is important. Right. You know, mm -hmm. and, and, and I think that um, being comfortable with a degree of conflict and disagreement, um, because there are lots of spaces for legitimate disagreement um, in education, um, from policy to pedagogy, and definitely in philosophy. So um, I think that that's one piece of it. Um, I also think that making sure that leaders get a sense and and again it and it sounds like maybe you were challenging me on this um on this premise earlier and I, and I'm willing to, to be challenged on it I don't think that all teachers have you know are motivated primarily by a moral center I'm not saying that every teacher has one mm -hmm. but I but I do think that the teachers who stick around and who are the most passionate tend to bring that yeah. with them. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and so I, so I think that in helping leaders see and really um, become aware that that moral center is something that is motivating and sustaining for teachers. And it's something um, to attend to rather than, um, to treat everything at uh, a more instrumental level, yeah, you know, and, and so I think being in touch with those moral and ethical um, concerns um, is really important. And I think probably lots of, you know, 
lots of leaders are also motivated and sustained by the same thing in the face of jobs that are too big and work that's incredibly difficult, you know? So, so, um, and that's a place to also find some common ground. Yeah. Um, I I think that's really powerful. And I think that, that that's one of the reasons why those conversations don't happen more frequently is that, you know, in schools, you talked about the size of the principal job. It's just go, 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 go. And that's not an excuse. I don't mean for it to be an excuse, but I think leaders need to slow down yeah. and realize. Create a space. Right. That you, the what you get out of taking that time to really listen and acknowledge and problem solve with teachers, um, you know, makes a huge difference. And so, um, yeah, I just think. It, there's just a constant state of go in schools and and so it f- feels like a burden to take that time to listen and to problem solve but it's mm-hmm. it pays off in the bigger picture for sure i i also noticed jim that you know when i um when i read um the research and sort of the articles more geared towards leaders about teacher resistance, you know, usually teacher resistance is, is cast as um, obstructionist or recalcitrant, right? I don't want to change. These teachers are going to be resistant to change because they don't, they don't like to do something new or they don't want, you know, and, and that's one of the ways I talk about getting curious about teacher resistance, because I think it's cast in a way that puts leaders and teachers at odds where there's a way using the moral and ethical um, sources that you could actually find some common ground. Yeah. I love that. That's very true. Um, We, we usually end our interview with a question that we ask all of our, um, all of our guests. And that is if they could go back in a time machine and talk to a younger self, Mm -hmm. what advice would they give? And so (laughs) just wondering what your thoughts are about that. (laughs) Um, I'm trying to think about what I can say on air. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Um, One of the things I would say is to accept that all the sort of weird experiences and different kinds of pieces of this work that you do will make you who you are and that will be of value to someone. Hmm. That's good. I love that. Yeah, very nice. A message we should be giving our kids too. Our students. Absolutely. I think that I, uh, at some point, you know, had been cautioned against, you know, all the work you're doing is going to get in the way of doing your doctorate, you know, or um, you're doing, you're a philosopher, you shouldn't be doing so much empirical work. And I think, you know, for me now, like, all of these pieces of things that were cast in some ways to me as these are distractions or or making you not specialize ended up being the strengths I bring now. Yeah. And so. Well, thank you so much for taking time. We know everybody's busy and you've got a lot of work with your move and getting everything ready. Uh, we do so appreciate it. And uh, I, I am going to one time, one more time, put it out there. Uh, think about chapter six expanded. If nothing else, just record 
advice teachers have for their administrators? Because it's something okay. that we don't we don't always get to hear because we happen to be their boss and they're not going to tell us. So okay. And I would encourage people to read this book because especially teachers, uh, I believe. Well, as teachers and administrators, but I just believe that it's remoralizing in the sense that you've acknowledged that this exists and yeah. there you've you've taken the time to write a book about it that it's important and so. Um, to me, I think that that really affirms that this is something we should be talking about and will make teachers feel better. So, Very good. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I, go ahead. Thank you. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks so much. Thank you. You too. It was nice to meet Take you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.